Hey, peeps, this is Trish. I want to share something with you today. So back in the day when I was starting Spring OT, we had grown, we had some admin help, we had a therapist or two, and I had systems, let's put that in quotations, meaning I had like spreadsheets and Google Docs and more spreadsheets and a few emails. And finally, my therapist and my team, very small team, begged me to do something all under one umbrella. No more duct tape systems, they said, Trish. Please, please get a real system. So what did you do, Trish? Well, Ashley, let me tell you, <laughs> I always talk about time being precious and needing to buy back our time because we've only got two assets. We've got time is money and time is the most limited resource that we have. I'm on a mission to help OT entrepreneurs save that time, no more $10 tasks, so that you can use it for what really matters. And that is being the CEO of your company who can implement your growth. Only you can do that. Agreed. So, yeah, I know. I know you believe in this. So when you have systems in place, everything just falls into line. That chaos that you feel turns into order. The duct tape goes away. And you know, you become clear and have more control. So I want you, the listeners, to imagine what it would be like to have more time to pursue the ambitions and the mission and the impact that you want to have as you grow your OT business instead of just drowning in all those routine tasks. So you turned all that chaos into order and <laughs> yep. you got a system in place yep. and not just, you know, papers and Excel and duct tape, but you got an EMR that exactly. brought everything together. That is exactly why I built Therabyte for OTs just like you who are growing your business. And I know that that's a past version and a current version of you as you step back into working a little bit with clients. So uh, if you are still looking for that EMR to suit your needs, Therabyte is the EMR for OTs. So head over to therabyte.app to learn more about it. And if you want to hang out a little bit more with me, not only did I build the Therabyte, but I'm also guest coaching in Trisha's program, Road to 100K, until the end of June. We're so check that out, a, too. We're happy to have a systems expert in there. Thanks, Ashley. You're welcome, Trish. Take care. Therabyte.app. Hi there. Welcome to OTs Get Paid the podcast for OT entrepreneurs, where we learn about everything you need to know to move from thinking like a therapist to acting like a CEO and making good money along the way. Are you curious how to continue to be true to your mission of helping others as an OT and get paid what you're worth? Do you want to know the best tips that add zeros to your bank account? Do you wonder how other OTs do it too? I'm your host, Trish Williams. A Canadian, a mom, a not-so-closet choir nerd, an occupational therapist of over 26 years. I spent most of those years loving my profession, but secretly wishing I could get paid a lot more. Did I feel like I had an important job that had great impact on my clients and society? Check. 
Did I also wish I could feel validation in that work through getting paid enough to feel financial freedom? Check, check. So finally in my 40s, as a single mom who needed to get real with my income, I built two six-figure businesses, including my latest as an OT entrepreneur coach at Trish Williams Consulting. And through this, I heard the secret shame that others felt the same way too. So I'm raising my voice and raising my profile of this issue and probably raising my prices. I'm here to talk about OTs making money. So let's do like Scrooge McDuck and dive into those giant piles of gold coins and get swimming and start this episode. Welcome OT entrepreneurs to the OT's Get Paid podcast, season one, episode 13. As you know, season one focuses on revenue and pricing. So why am I so excited about today's episode? When it comes to hiring people, other therapists, an admin team, a senior leadership team, marketing, distribution, all of it, there are three questions that I get asked with the most frequency. The first is, what should I pay my team members? Second, should they be employees or subcontractors? And third, how do I get my team members to be really productive, to follow through on those tasks that they need to be doing, such as seeing clients, documentation, team meetings, et cetera, et cetera. Today, we are going to discuss these questions and more with our very special guest. This guest has found a better way. She believes in salaries over hourly rates, and she's going to tell you how she made this pivot, and it's not always going to be perfect. And more importantly, how she has happier and more productive staff that thrive, that stay, they don't leave, and that take on tons of new work. She has turned her staff into rabid fans through company culture. Okay, I need to ask a serious question. How many of you rolled your eyes when I just said that? How many of you thought to yourself, oh my gosh, Trish, that is such a soft skill. You help OTs get paid. I want hard goods. Okay, I'm here to tell you, and our guest is going to tell you, these are hard goods. There's a great book out there by Tony Shea. I'm a huge fan. His last name is spelled H-S-E-I-H, and he's the founder of Zappos. His Delivering Happiness book has given me tons of insight into culture. One of his core business principles is that your core value should be culture, and that is the best place you can put your money and your time as a CEO. How many of you have read the book Jim Collins' Good to Great? where he did a retroactive study on factors that separate good companies from great ones, and he says company culture is one of the most important factors in that. I also dug a little deep into some Harvard Business School studies. The Harvard Business Review talks a lot about how company culture shapes employee motivations. They did a survey of 20,000 employees in 50 different countries, and the conclusion is why we work determines how well we work. Stay with me here. I've got one more thing. Harvard also did a study in 1980. It's a goodie. It's still around. And they talked about the six main reasons why we work. And they are play, purpose, potential, emotional pressure, economic pressure, and inertia. 
And you can see the first three are really motivation-based. And the last three are punitive-based. And we want to max the good for our team members and minimize the bad. So today's episode really focuses on how does culture drive performance? And here it is. This is the big thing I want you to take away. What is culture worth to your business? So let's get to our guest. This guest lives in sunny San Diego, runs a large seven-figure pediatric clinic. She's a single mom like me. She has four-year-old twins, unlike me. I bow. I bow down. She is a creative thinker. She has been on the Biz Chicks sister podcast, Stacking Your Team, twice which is another thing. I bow down. If you don't listen to the Biz Chicks podcast, go now. If you don't listen to Stacking Your Team and it's relevant to you, run, don't walk, and listen to her two episodes first. She also is a Peloton devotee and loves her some Cody. So who is this guest? Today, I have the pleasure of talking to Corey Rowan. Welcome, Corey. Hi, Trish. Oh my gosh, you're too kind to me with that introduction. (laughs) I had to get the sunny California thing in there first because I'm gels. Yeah, it's, you know, it's not sunny today, but it is mostly always sunny. (laughs) Always. Is there anything more boring than being a weatherman in San Diego? That's a question I have. I don't know. I think they definitely like have their money's worth this year, though, because it's been raining a lot. Okay, then. All right. So I can't retire and cruise on my my idea of being a weatherman and Cal- sunny San Diego and showing up and saying it's 75 every day? I don't think so. Okay. Think those times are gone. <laughs> I'll keep doing this then. That? So Corey, thank you so much for joining me today. The first question that I ask everybody, and of course I'm going to ask you is, Corey, tell us, how do you get paid? Meaning, tell us about you and what you do. So I am an occupational therapist. I have a clinic um, PTs, OTs, and speech therapists, and an admin team. In we have one location in San Diego. We are very collaborative. That is how I personally also get paid. The clinic is almost four years old, three and a half years old. It grew rapidly the first two, three years, and we've definitely come such a long way. Especially with COVID last year, we grew a lot in different ways. But yeah, that's a little bit about me and how I get paid. Great. Tell me, what was the fist on the table moment for you that there's got to be a better way? Why, what was that moment that had you decide to start your own company? Whew. So I feel like there are little little micro moments that happen to mm-hmm. us. Like death by a thousand paper cuts, they say, like, (laughs) I would see this and I was experiencing it. I was in companies where it was all about back to back and the money and less about the culture, less about team members collaborating. And I really wanted that to be the case. And so I think it's not like maybe one instance, but it's, the multiplication of small little moments where you're like, I think, I think there's a better way. I think Mm -hmm. therapists, team members, employees, I think that there's a better way for them. I also think there's a better way for these kids, uh, the parents that come. And obviously I, at that time didn't know 
fully about the business side of things, but I just felt in my soul mm-hmm. that there had to be a better way for all of us to feel more intrinsically motivated at work, feel like we were making a huge difference and, and ha- ultimately have a better situation for the kids in terms of the treatment they received. Mm-hmm. So I wish I had like an aha moment, but I, I think like I've learned everything, I learn it in, in small little moments um, of tension that say mm-hmm. like, gosh, I wish, I wish I could do this and figure out how to make this just a little bit better than where we are today. Did you know that you were an entrepreneur? Because I know that there's a lot of therapists out there who feel that on a regular basis and they don't go ahead to build a large clinic like Milestone. So did you know that about yourself? It's a great question. I actually did not know that about Mm -hmm. myself. The opportunity presented itself when... I had just, I was a new mom and I had, my twins were, I think they were like nine or 10 months. And I thought, because I had thought for so long, there's got to be a better way. Mm -hmm. That was my main motivator. I had Mm -hmm. no idea that I could grow into or expand into an entrepreneurial mindset. But I think that my preparedness maybe met opportunity. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how I came into the entrepreneurial world. It's still kind of sometimes hard for me to like identify as that Mm -hmm. because it wasn't like a dream of mine that I had, but Mm -hmm. I definitely am. I have that mindset. I've grown into it, but yeah, no, I never really thought that was going to be the case for me. I was wrong. (laughs) You're not the first person that has said that to me on this podcast and just through conversation. And I am exactly the same way. And I really think that's worth exploring going forward. I wonder if it's a confidence thing for OTs or if it's just we're so based in the clinical that we don't think in any kind of business term at all. I mean, it's the rare OT that I talk to that's like, oh yeah, I always knew I was going to do something on my own. So I totally agree. And I think, you know, pressure allows us to take chances and also try something new that we wouldn't otherwise do if that pressure didn't exist. Do you agree with that? Right. I totally agree with that. And I actually mm-hmm. think that that really encapsulates my story mm-hmm. because I needed the pressure mm-hmm, of, like, I co-parent, so mm-hmm. I needed to be financially uh, stable on my own. Exactly. And that pressure is what pushed me to be able to, I think, get over the risk of like, how do I do this? What, you know, I needed that answer. And that was the pressure of the kids. I always say that the kids are the beginning of everything. Like my kids are <laughs> so true. They're the begin- They're the why I felt so brave enough to do this mm-hmm. uh, in the first place, I think. But absolutely, the pressure needed to be there to push me over that. That's really interesting. So, you know, again, there are lots of people out there that are going to be thinking as you're talking, it's the pressure, Corey, that prevents me mm. from doing the thing. So. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Switching it like that. Ooh, it's so juicy. (laughs) I'm asking because I actually don't know. So I'm dead curious because I genuinely want to know what your opinion is on why you think that that pressure prevents people from taking action. And in your case and in my case, you you took the words out of my mouth, like with the need for having, you know, more financial independence. And I just was like, heck, I'm not relying on anybody's outside income ever again. Heck no. Heck to the no. I'm going to do this. And that propelled me to action. What 
do you think is the difference in those that get stuck and those that get propelled to action with that pressure? So the pressure, what I think from my own perspective is it's the pressure to get it right the first time. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it actually is. And it's not the pressure itself. It's the pressure to be perfect and the fear of being an amateur at something that you don't know everything about. I think, you know, by therapists and myself at some points, and a lot of people I've met in this field, like we are perfectionists or potentially recovering perfectionists. And that all, that is what I think stops it of the pressure to be perfect the first time to try and fail, to have nobody show up, to have people, you know, all the things. And that's what I think it holds people back. In, in my opinion. You know what? I think you nailed it. I'm thinking back myself that, so did you feel that when you made that decision that because there was a timeliness to it, because there was a drive and a hunger to it and a slight panic to it that you knew you didn't have to be perfect? You knew you just needed to do it? Yeah. I think there was no plan B. Yeah. I totally like, agree. So no is- plan B and no, you, we knew we just kind of had to get her done. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. And I was okay with, with asking for help and failing. I say this so all, so all the time is that that's how I think I made it through. As I, mm-hmm. I said, I don't know. I know that there's so many things I don't know. And I asked for help for people who did. And yeah, I think getting okay and comfortable with failing is very hard at first. I don't want to take that lightly. That's mm-hmm. something you definitely grow into. It's not something that just happens. It, the first couple, maybe hundred are very hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it just, the more you practice that, because it's like, it's not failure to me. I've reframed it as it's you win or learn and you just learn and learn and learn. And so if you can reframe that, that I think helped me a lot get through quote unquote failures that also are lessons and data that you can mm-hmm. use. Yeah. I really like that. And I'm I'm so glad you're capturing that. It's not something I intended to ask you about, but I think you're really capturing that feeling I had too, which was like, well, you know, the only way around is through because you're not going back. Right. Right. And I think when you have no plan B, (laughs) it's really easy not to go back. Right. You're like, well, (laughs) better figure this out. This has got to work. Exactly. Um. Tell us, let's talk some numbers. Tell us about okay. your income at Milestone, which is the name of your clinic. I don't think you said it in your intro. What is your income for the company this year? And where do you want to be next year? Okay. So company revenue is last year on 2020, it was 2.3 million total revenue. And this year we're hoping for, hoping and strategically anticipating Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you can't just hope for numbers that big. They have Mm -hmm. to be strategic for 2.7. And that's because that number is specific to the amount of raises that I gave this year. We kind of did a whole reset on raises because we didn't do 2020. And I have had to learn a lot about that part of the business. And so that's what this year is 2.7. We're hoping and then, I mean, I'd like to break the 3 million mark eventually. Mm-hmm. Do you <laughs> so, think you can do that in five years or where do you think you, what year do you think you'll break 3 million? I think if I'm being ambitious and knowing what's what's coming, I think we'll do it next year. That's amazing. Uh, so, so you know those numbers 
like there's people that are driving, there's people that are walking their dogs, there's people that are doing their dishes right now that truly cannot wrap their head around those revenue numbers. You know that, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so let's demystify this a little bit before we kind of talk about the raise piece and the employee piece, which I definitely want to get to. But because these are such large numbers, I want you to give us, you know, as best you can, like, how the heck did you get there? Like, you, where did you start? And I guess you started. Hey, it's Trish. Now that I've got your attention, I wanted to tell you about something that we are really excited about here at OTs Get Paid. This month, we are kicking off our formal, systemic, organized, planned, woohoo, referral program. With every referral of somebody that you bring to us that purchases one of our two signature programs, Road to 100K and 100K Club, we give you money. We're leaning into it. We're leaning into our brand and we're going to get you paid. At this point, we are offering $400 for people who refer someone who enrolls in our 100K Club Mastermind and $250 for somebody that enrolls in our Road to 100K program. But we're not stopping there. Your referred member will also get access to a bonus Q&A Zoom call every month that we are doing just for new referred members with our coaches. It's going to be Q&A ask the coach anything. How are you going to do this? The best way to do this is to connect with us via email or through DMs. We're keeping it really simple for right now. And we're saying, hey, here's their deets. Do you want us to call them? Are they going to get in touch with us? And as long as you mention each other, we will connect you and let our system wheels spin and they will get their bonuses and you will get yours. And I want to remind you, we are a company with a mission. It is to bring more wealth to more female OT entrepreneurs because we know what women do with money. They use it to better their families and they use it to better their communities. So for every dollar that we generate here at OTs Get Paid every year, we give away 1% of our gross income to Dress for Success, which is a charity, an organization that's dedicated to empowering women towards financial independence. I hate to use the term win-win-win. Somebody has a better one. Please let me know. But we don't want you to keep those benefits to yourself anymore. We want your referral partner to win. We want you to win. And of course, we have a social agenda here at OTs Get Paid. From zero, right? And then how did you get there? Yeah. So the interesting thing is, if it's possible to start at negative zero, (laughs) where we started. My like favorite story to tell people is that after I paid rent the first time, I had seven cents in savings. And rent on the clinic, you mean? Yes, rent on the clinic. (laughs) Seven cents, like zero seven, like cents. Yeah, that's plan A. That is plan A all the way. (laughs) Holy cow. Seven cents American, which would be like 10 cents here. So, okay. Yeah, so a dime potentially. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I was, what what do you do with that? That That is scary. So then the first year was only, you know, three months. It started in September of 2017. And then the first taxes was, honestly, he said, you're going to get money back because you took such a loss. Yeah. No business owner wants to hear that. No. <laughs> Although taxes are hard to pay, they're a good sign that mm-hmm. money's coming in and mm-hmm. profit's happening. So 
So yeah, if you could start at negative zero, that's where I started. And I actually, that next year after we did our taxes, so it was for the 2018, full 2018 year, when I did the taxes on that year, I looked at it and it said revenue 1.2 million. And I was like, what? (laughs) If it's possible, which I I know it is, I didn't even know what that was happening until it had already happened because it took me a while to understand full numbers. I hear that story all the time. Yep. Yeah. And then, so yeah, you, I started at less than zero and very, very, I mean, confused about how numbers impacted it and how I got to where we are today, which is obviously 2020 was 2.3 in revenue was a lot, a lot of help from how to hire people, how mm-hmm. to even be a CEO of a company because I my identity was as a therapist mm-hmm. and learning my numbers. I really had to dig into learning my numbers, failing mm-hmm. a thousand million times. And yeah, there was no there was no looking back, I guess. And you don't sell like you don't sell one million dollar product to two point three people. No. No. <laughs> You sell, like you take insurance. So you're in a volume business, right? Yes, we take insurance for 95% of the families that come to Milestone. So again, I'm thinking, now I didn't run a clinic like this, so I can sit with the newbies that, you know, may have just started out or haven't run a clinic yet and ask questions from that perspective, which is, so what the heck? You got to 1.2 million within the first, like, two years, I guess, 17 and then 18. Is this just like, did you just attract more customers than you knew what to do with and had like, you know, how many therapists did you have working, for example, to get that 1.2 and how many visits? Ooh, data. Approximately. So my guess is that I think we probably were close to 10 therapists. They weren't all full-time then. Mm -hmm. If I'm accurate in my look back to about 10 therapists, oh, in terms of how many appointments we had, oh, I don't know that number off the top of my head. Do you know how many, like how many clients you had approximately then? I would say we probably had 150 families back then because now we have 20 therapists and about 300, 350 families. Yeah. Yeah. So it was probably half of that. How do you attract 150 families and 10 therapists in your first year or two? How does that happen? So why I think it happened was word of mouth, first of all. I think we were doing really good work. The therapists were doing really good work and people were talking. The other thing I think is that I, early on when I met the therapist, I said, you know, I have never done this before. And I'm going to learn with you. Will you learn with me? Mm-hmm. And it was almost like a partnership of learning together and growing the company rather than a, I'm your boss power over style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that really resonated with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And it felt also super genuine to how going back to like, this can be better, how I always wanted a leader mm-hmm. to communicate to engage with me as a employee. I wanted that like, hey, I'm in this with you. We're learning together. I'm going to lean on you. And that's what I wanted to offer. And at the time, I didn't know exactly what that meant, but I knew that it felt genuine to say, 
I don't know the full picture. I'm growing. Now I know that someone I heard it somewhere say like, there's not a lot of people that will set up the chairs with you before a party. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I basically had asked them like to set up the chairs. Like everyone wants to come to the party when the party's hopping, but we were like, let's set up the chairs together and let's create together this vision for what we know can be better for this industry, for the kids, for working as a therapist. And I, I think I didn't know it at the time, but now I know that I do have a gift in vision and think I was able to, or visionary mentality. I can kind of like project into the future of, I can see our company and I can see the vision coming to life. And so I didn't realize I was doing it at the time, but I think that that's kind of what helped people connect with me. Mm -hmm. And then you really followed through on the principles we were talking about in the introduction, which is how company culture really does turn your staff into rabid fans, but also your clients. So you're saying that it was so easy to attract clients and keep those 150 clients because of happy staff. It wasn't you needed the clients first. Is is that almost the order that you're thinking in, Corey? Yeah, we didn't actually have the clients first. <laughs> so base, it was about two therapists. They were about half full. And we we had the buy-in of, hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to lead as best that I can. Will you go with me? And I think, yeah, I think it was that mentality and that mindset, that collaboration and the vision of we can do this better that then created the culture beginnings of the culture to have therapists be happy in sessions, know that if something was going on, they could give feedback and that that feedback loop was open. So yeah, I think actually it did proceed clients. I never thought about it like that. Well, it's an interesting order because then, you know, the first thing that people ask about, especially in the OTs Get Paid Facebook group, there's a whole bunch of people in there that are asking about marketing. And that's a hot, hot topic for any OT entrepreneur, especially when they're in the growing, starting growing phase. And it's almost like you took care of and the marketing meaning like how to gain, how to access clients, how to get more clients, right? Right. And it sounds as though you turned that order on its head and mm-hmm. it took care of itself. The marketing and the client acquisition took care of itself by creating and putting culture first. Yeah. I, I guess it's amazing. So. I had never really so, thought of that. <laughs> Thank you. <for laughs> <laughs> hey, let me just point out that. how amazing you are, Corey. <laughs> Well, I'll just keep doing that through the whole episode. So the Tony Shea book, pardon me, Tony Shea that I referred to in the intro, he wrote a book called Delivering Happiness. And it's the story of Zappos. He owns the, you know, well, he owned because he's unfortunately passed away really tragically yeah. after. It was such a sad story. You know, Zappos was known as a great company that just happened to sell shoes. Right. People have interviewed him through and through as a culture expert, a modern day culture expert. He was a tech guy that started a tech company, sold it to Microsoft, you know, dorm room kind of thing, and then started Zappos, which I think, don't quote me on this, I think Amazon bought it. I can't remember. But at any rate, he has three core business principles. And the first one is you really do have to deliver the best product or service. So in Milestone Clinic's case, to use this 
Tony Shea as an example, you know, you did that. You knew from right off the bat you were hiring the right people and you really delivered a top, top service. Would you agree with that? I will definitely agree with that, that I had to learn that though. I had, yeah, yeah, that that was, I knew that to do it better meant first and foremost, that the therapists were happy that they were intrinsically motivated to be there and that, you know, a, they were going to be able to have access to make it better and continue to progress. So, yeah, I think it, I do. I agree with that because I, but I started from a different spot, I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I started from making sure the therapist knew that this culture was collaborative and supportive. Yeah. And then. Well, and that's what Tony Shea says is number two. Okay. So you can't have number, and I'm assuming he put them in an order. I didn't read otherwise in the book. Maybe, no, I believe he does put them in an order, which is, you know, you're never going to have people coming back or even get any customers if you have a lousy product or service. And the second thing is, you know, as the CEO, you should be putting your time and your money, which is, you know, incredible. That's an incredible resource as the CEO. That's, you know, you could be putting your time and money in multiple places. And he says, you put your time and money after that into your main core value, which should be the culture. Yeah. Yeah, it's phenomenal. So tell us a bit more then about, you know, you've alluded to keeping your staff happy by being that visionary, having somebody to like set up the chairs with. Could you, would you be able to define, like, did you define the setting up the chairs as an actual value or key characteristic for your team? I didn't. It was actually a, during a team meeting, I just said, you know, I heard this amazing analogy and I think that this is what we're doing. (laughs) By then the team was, we were in 2019, probably mid-year 2019. And by then the team had grown to probably almost 20 therapists and then five, six admin professionals. And I said, you know, there's not a lot of people that are willing to set up the chairs. You know, we are, there are a ton of growing pains. When you go from, I mean, we grew year to year, 2018, 2019, 79% in revenue. And the 2019 year was a growing pain year. I think we brought on this month in 2019, May of 2019, we brought on five or six people in one month. And so that comes with a lot of growing pains. And I think my Mm -hmm. team would say the same. It was definitely setting up the chairs. And I don't think I, I don't, everything that happens, we don't know we're going through it until after. Yeah, it's (laughs) very retroactive, right? I mean, you did things, you did things intuitively that totally worked in in this case. And looking back, now you're able to find, oh, well, there's data that shows that what I did was the right thing, right? Yeah, so I get that it's yeah. not like you sat there with like the Harvard Business Review study being like, well, that would no. be the most excellent next step, right? No, I, and I, I hold true to this. And although it's, I'm not perfect, I make mistakes. I, I know that I put people first at Milestone mm-hmm. and that's been the thing that's been, that's transcended being an amateur and having, I still consider myself a forever learner. I'm never like mm-hmm. a, I've never made it. I'm always learning. And so, but that's been the consistent theme is like people first always. So yeah, we didn't know we were setting up the chairs, but yeah, it's amazing what happens to a culture and to a team when you realize, yeah, like we have been 
progressing, even though it's feeling like growing pains. So yeah. really- do you have that written anywhere now? Like if you, and we've talked about this before, you and I, the Donald Miller, you know, business made simple. He talks about the real importance of creating like a mission statement and values. Tony Shea does the same thing. One of his is like, uh, let me see if I can remember this correctly. I think I'm paraphrasing, but I think it's something like of the six or seven core values he has is like, we respect weird Mm, like we that. love weird. And so during the interviews, he'll say to people like, what's the weirdest thing you did lately? Like, what's the weirdest thing you've ever done? Because they respect weird. Do you have any of those things written out now that you know the value behind those? Yes. So in 2019, late 2019, I introduced company core values, mm-hmm. which were things that I had been saying yes. for the beginning, since the beginning yeah. of the company, but I just actually had this aha moment and put them on paper. Yeah. And we have six company core values. And would you like me to share them? I really would. Okay. So all are welcome. Everyone has a seat at our table. We choose hope with every child, every time. We celebrate the small things. We love the journey. So we are servant leaders. Feedback is our jam. And we pursue gratitude. Yeah. I'm hoping that the people that are listening to you right now that have been employees, are still employees, are thinking about their employees, just have overall body excitement at thinking that this could be a place you could work. This could be a place that you create where other people come and work because that is not oatmeal. That is not a bland (laughs) vanilla ice cream answer, right? Like that's banging. Thank you. And it has stuck. We do what we call the Spinny Awards <laughs> as our favorite toy. Well, I'll, okay, my favorite toy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't speak for them. We're getting honest. Yep. <laughs> my favorite toy is the Stack Spin Stacker from Fat oh, yeah. Brain Toys. And so we have, there are six of those, there are six core values. And so we call them the Spinny Awards. And every other week, we give them out. So they give them to each other. So it's peer recognition. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll get one and I'll give it to somebody the next week, but most of the time it stays within the team outside of me. And so someone has all are welcome as the core value that they got from someone else. And then in two weeks, their job is to look around them and say, Mm -hmm. who's embodying that core value. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give that spinny award to that person at the next team meeting that we have. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. So I read a little bit about in prep for this interview because I'm just so enamored of this concept. And so much of it is actually based on neuroscience and our proximity to Mm. like-minded people. Mm. So you can turn people into fans and staff into fans. You know, most people actually, just as an aside, there's a lot out there that talks about turning our customers into fans. And I think I'll do a podcast on that eventually. But this, you know, to reinforce, we're really talking about turning your team into rapid fans of your business. And neuroscience says that, you know, the closer in proximity we are to people, which is harder, obviously, over COVID, the more powerful emotions that get spread. So think about raves. This was actually in Tony Shea's book. Think about raves. Like raves are legitimately like hype pits. (laughs) 
So I've heard. I've never actually been to a rave. Yeah, I don't think I've ever really been to a rave. <laughs> no, I mean, and you know, no disrespect to the ravers. Think about Burning Man. I haven't been to Burning Man, but boy, oh, boy yes. do I have like... Awesome. I, pardon? Have you been to Burning Man? No, no, but okay. it looks great. Yeah, it, it looks, looks awesome. too dusty for me. I'm just going to be completely <laughs> honest. If it weren't for the dust, well, and the fact that I'm old, but I might consider... Burning Man. But again, it's that kind of like hype pit, that proximity, right? right? right, And they have been studying lately, interestingly enough, over Zoom during COVID, that it can still work over Zoom as long as there is a consistency to that. And that's all because of mirror neurons, right? So if somebody on a movie is experiencing sadness, we can experience sadness. And we know that as clinicians, right? Right, right. So it's so valid to hear that there's science, not just studied in the business world, but science that we can relate to as therapists that show why this works, right? Why this is so important. Yeah. And then they say too, that peer recognition means more than supervisor recognition. I never knew that, but it makes sense to me. more beneficial or long lasting when your peer is acknowledging you for something. Yeah. Which I love. I didn't know that when I said when I did this. This is another one of those things where I wasn't I wasn't sure. But yeah, I've just recently heard that. We often set up the businesses where we want to work, which shouldn't be revolutionary and yet right. is so impactful. And you did just that. And I want people that own businesses right now to reflect on that if they haven't already thought of. Like you're probably creating the place that you want to come to work every day. And if you're not, change that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because it will benefit everybody. Let's talk a little bit then. Let's get into some nitty gritty around the other things you've done for your team. So let's, I want to get to, you know, some of that core culture stuff again, but I don't want to skip over, Corey, the, you know, change from hourly to salaried and exactly how you decided to pay your employees. Can you talk a bit about that for us now? Yes. So... Pre-COVID times, we had some people on salary, some people on hourly, but just like everything else in this business, I have learned as I've gone. That's the theme, I think, of this mm-hmm. yes. And so I didn't have true qualifications for what you had to do or productivity for salary. Just some people were on it and some people weren't, and I was kind of going at it blind. And then when COVID hit, everyone was transitioned to hourly just because the pandemic and everything was so uncertain. And I wanted to level the playing field and make a fair opportunity for everyone during this so crazy time. And then during the pandemic, we talked a lot to the team, to the leadership team, and we took lots of feedback. And basically what everybody was saying was we really like the flexibility of what COVID has brought us working from home not having to commute as much, getting off earlier. And we'd like to keep some of that. And we really (laughs) want consistency back Mm -hmm. Um, because this whole year has been up and down for everything. But then also on top of that, work and finances have been inconsistent. So I heard them and set out to make a way that everybody could qualify for salary based on specific numbers on your caseload basically now you have to be with the company for three months. And if you have at least 26 hours of treatment sessions on your schedule, you qualify. And so I just made it super simple so that everyone knew that they could work towards something salary related. And I I just really personally love the salary model. I think it, it 
it sends the message that we're all in and then on the opposite side that they're all in. And that's not to say that the hourly model is not that. There's people on the team that are on the hourly model that because, right, the values here are consistency and flexibility. I wrote that down. That's exactly what I wrote down. That's so (laughs) funny. You conveyed that so well without using those words. And I have them double underlined. Wow. Same page. You did a good job describing that without saying that at first. Way to go. Like, so, like, not to be a turkey about it, but seriously, like, your money where your mouth is. You legitimately talk values all the time, right? So much so that I could pick up on those words without you even using them in frequency. You're such a, my hype squad, you know, I, <laughs> I just love you. I'm glad. Good. You should be hyped. You know what? We'll have a rave for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. A virtual <laughs> rave. Uh, but yeah, the hourly team members are just as committed and I'm just as committed to them. What the value though that we share is that I want to provide flexibility and they want the flexibility. And so that works for some people. And especially in this post COVID world where we realized we needed to be more flexible and we needed to think outside the box. I really want to keep that value moving forward with people on the hourly model, because it's just as valuable to me to offer flexibility, especially moms in the workforce Mm -hmm. and new moms I always want to be someone that can look at the team and say, what does the team need and how can we be flexible for everyone to be at work if they want to be, especially moms, Mm -hmm. you know, it's near and dear to my heart. Well, and it's a real abundance mindset too, Corey, because I know so many people that I've, I've talked to over the years as clinic owners, they panic about productivity rates and they almost kind of, there's like a downward crunchy feeling right? Like you've talked about that. And that's the like sage on the stage, the top down org model. And it's like, you know, I need to see you at 97%. And if you don't have this happening, there's like, I don't know what, like punitive measures or supervision, you know, we're going to talk about how you structure team meetings soon, but weekly supervisions where you might be clear on goals, but then you're really not able to motivate people because they're still not showing up and doing what you're asking them to do. And you're coming from this place of like true abundance and it's working and it's not soft. Like you've got clear measures that are transparent to your team on like, how are you going to get to that flexible consistency salaried rate if you want to? Right. How do you communicate that by the way? It's a two-parter. How do you communicate that? And then what happened when you put these things into play, did you get a lot of pushback? Whew. Ready for this? Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I am. So, Are you? <laughs> I don't know yet. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm ready. So I wrote a, I think it was, I think it's eight pages. I call it the milestone manifesto. And it's very Jerry Maguire. Yep. <laughs> so I just took a couple days, took a CEO weekend. And I said, I need to get this all down because I want boundaries, but I want flexibility. And with more flexibility, you have to have more boundaries because both sides, boundaries feels like the right word, because that means we're protecting each other instead of standards, which kind of feels like you're protecting the company. Mm. So my language around in the manifesto is all around productivity boundaries, documentation boundaries, schedule boundaries. And uh, that's to keep the flexibility because that's a value that they expressed multiple times. 
So I wrote that and sent it out and said, we're out, we're, I'm finishing the hourly one. Now we're having a separate hourly manifesto that's not done yet, but basically to kind of give the same transparency of this is what we're looking for. So in that I had this chart and it's basically saying it spells out the boundaries for if you're a clinic therapist, if you're an in-home and clinic therapist, and then if you're on the leadership team. So there's three different categories. And then I also spelled out what are exceptions because I wanted to be equitable. That was the biggest thing for me. That was my value and continues to be that I want things to be fair. I want everyone to have access to, and I want them to know how they get there because that helps the whole company feel like, hey, we all have access to the same things. This is equitable in terms of opportunity. So that was that was great. It's definitely been a tough transition. And for me, tension is normalized and my leadership team, tension is normalized. We practice radical candor and we are okay with disagreeing. So that's also part of the culture that I think helps these changes really take root is that I'm okay if you aren't 100% in alignment with this. It, it actually is helpful if you aren't, because I need to see that other perspective. I need to hear what I'm not hearing. And I need your unique opinions and guidance because I want this to be sustainable. So I think the biggest switch with this is that we never had had a productivity standard or a productivity boundary before. And it was kind of a mindset shift. Mm-hmm. Of we have to meet these numbers now. Whereas before, we just got overscheduled. And so it's it's taking away the overscheduling aspect, which I like taking that away because that increases burnout and giving a boundary that feels a little bit better, but the learning curve is going to take a little bit and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you about the transparency and finding out how to pay people. And then I want to go more into, you know, the team communication piece. Yeah. How did you actually decide like the dollar amount to pay your therapists? And is that transparent across the company? So here's my theme again. I didn't really know what I was doing in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Staying on theme there, Corey. <laughs> Staying on trend here. When we first and when we first started, there were no benefits. And so mm-hmm. when I crafted a contract, it was pieces and parts of other contracts I had had in my mm-hmm. own words and all this stuff. And I said, I need to pay them more because I don't have any PTO, any sick time, any health insurance, nothing. I had nothing. So I based it more around the benefits that I didn't have rather than an actual, like you have X amount of years of experience and this is what the rate is. So that's tough. I think going back what, now that I know more, I would have just done it as years of experience and had a starting rate for everybody across the board. If you're a new grad, we start at, for example, what this is, this is like a little bit not what we did, but this is what I would do going back. Mm-hmm. I would pick a rate and say, for example, new grads start at 37 an hour. Mm-hmm. And that is how we would start it. And now we do have more of a standard where new grads start at a specific rate. And then now we have a process where raises are going to be considered every year. Whereas before, because on trend again, didn't really know how to do that. <laughs> We're going to make space in the first quarter of every year to continue on compensation reviews. So 
I'm not sure if that answered your question or not. It does. It does. And I guess I'm also curious then, like, because I think with the boundaries, as you've called them, and the, you know, in the manifesto, it's clear this is where the communication lies on if you want to move up to a higher pay rate, these are the things that we want from our team. Is the dollar value behind that transparent as well? In terms of how that they'll increase their pay? Yeah. And then so that they would basically know that, you know, the somebody on the SLT team is making, senior leadership team is making X and somebody as a senior clinical therapist is making X. And that standardization allows them to know really clearly where they want to get to, but also right. what other people are making. So we are not that transparent yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I do love the concept of that. And I do mm-hmm. also love like the open book management style where I am more transparent about finances to the team at large. Mm-hmm. I'm dipping my feet into it with the leadership mm-hmm. team and showing them revenue numbers and all that stuff. But in terms of therapists and how you can get up to that pay, that is not transparent right now. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why it's not is because of that beginning time where I... Yeah. It's not the level playing field yet. It's not the level yeah. playing field yet. And that takes a couple of years to recorrect. But, you know, it, it shouldn't stop you from trying because there mm-hmm. is ways to correct that. I mean, we added benefits. So for the, we added a benefit whether it be PTO or sick time or health insurance, probably like one a year for the first couple of years. And that kind of stood in place of a raise because obviously a benefit is an expense to the company. But I love that idea. This year actually was when we did all the compensation reviews, I chose to do them all in the first quarter. Mm -hmm. So we did performance reviews. I did performance reviews for the leadership team in December of 2020. And then they did them for their department in January, or sorry, in the first quarter, we did performance reviews the entire first quarter. And then I had a separate compensation review meeting with just the therapist or just the admin professional. So it was a huge reset. And I love that because it's just one quarter we're doing this mm-hmm. and then see you next year, same time, same quarter. Mm-hmm. And that has helped a ton in terms of learning. Maybe I should have a cap. Maybe I should mm-hmm. have cap out the the rate. And then that also, if you cap out the rate, you have to kind of work backwards from there and say, what's, what do we start? And if somebody had a 3% raise every year, which is pretty standard, Mm -hmm. then at what point would they get to our cap? And so then Mm -hmm. working backwards. So that is something that I want to tackle this year, or at least before the next compensation review period, because I think it would be really awesome to be that transparent. Soon. Soon. Yeah. Before I ask about those meetings, would you ever tell your team what you take home? Well, I've considered it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, nobody does know that. And mm-hmm. I feel mixed about it. I feel like, well, first of all, I pay myself differently because mm-hmm. I just, when the company's doing really well or not doing really well, and it's always steady, right? But sometimes I feel like the company is in savings mode and I want to contribute yeah. as much as I can. And then sometimes when I feel like the company is exceeding goals. Sometimes I want to pay myself differently then. Mm -hmm. So part of the open book, I think it's called open book management Mm -hmm. is where you do share everything. You share Mm -hmm. salary, you share your owner's draw, you share all of it. And essentially you share the senior leadership salaries as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are not there yet. 
but gosh, I want to be there one day. I bet you do. <laughs> because I really just love the idea of transparent leadership as much as possible in so much as it helps the team think like business owners and mm. continue to say, okay, this is what I can grow into. Our next big thing though, is I would love to, to set up a profit sharing model. Tell Once me more about that. So I have these, these goals and actually we're going to, I haven't told anybody this, but by the time this airs, I will, but we will officially be debt free as a company the end of this month. It's a big deal. Congratulations. Huge. Huge. And thank you. And the books that I've read in terms of like the open book management style and for with finances, they also say, you know, if you want to get to a profit sharing, then you've got to get out of debt first. Like you can't do the profit sharing before you're out of debt, like get out of debt, start saving and then explore profit sharing. Also with, you know, I, as I said, we did the compensation reviews all in the first quarter and that kind of catalyst for the cap, you know, what is our cap in terms of what we pay? And so I thought to myself, if somebody capped there, because I'm always wanting them to progress. I always want them to have something else to reach for. The profit sharing model is is very attractive to me because if we do cap hourly, doesn't mean we're going to cap in terms of profit sharing. Yeah, uh, as easily rather. So that makes a lot of sense to me. It's interesting. I ask you that question because I don't know as much about this topic as you do. I haven't read those books yeah. or really even explored that piece of the topic. So I don't know how far it goes. And secondly, I don't know if you have this in the U.S., but there's something here in Canada we call the sunshine list. Do you have that? No, I don't think I've heard of I, that. I believe it's provincially based. Don't quote me on this. And if anybody knows, like, feel free to send me a DM or put it in the OTs Get Paid Facebook board. And it's a list by which government employees are required to have their salaries known. Okay. So you can, and you know, that's if you get any kind of funding from like even university employees do, because that's when it first came to my attention because I was on staff at the University of Alberta. And especially, it's not like every single solitary employee because people don't really care for the person that is making 45 grand a year, right? right. But it's kind of for like anybody, you know, again, I don't remember the exact parameters. If anybody does, please follow up on the OTs get paid Facebook board, but it's something like if you make over a hundred thousand, then your salary is released like in June mm. in like a big news flurry. And it's not a solidly positive tone. <laughs> like I look at it because I'm dead curious, which is why I started the brand OTs get paid yeah. in this way. I'm dead curious about yeah. what people actually get paid. And I think it doesn't get spoken enough in any culture, much less, you know, OTs for heaven's sakes. Um, but I also really think like there's a whole bunch of negativity around there. And there's a whole bunch of like, I can't believe the head of the university would get paid $459,000. And I'm like, right. So it's very negative tone in the ways that I've seen it. So that's where the question came from. And what I'm hearing from your research on open management styles is there's a better way. There's another way. Right. And for me specifically, what I do, and I think through the guidance of the CPA and recently hired a virtual CFO, um, is to put myself on salary. So I am on salary 
and I goes it goes through payroll for the company. And it's like, I think on the payroll, it's like 36 an hour is what it is. And so it's something where I, I'm paying taxes and it's a smaller amount, right? Because we can start our new grads at higher than 36 an hour. <laughs> but it's more of a tax tactic yes, to exactly. be able to pay. And then I take owner's draws monthly. Yep. And those are the amounts that vary because of whether we're in a savings period or if we're doing better in terms of monthly that that month. It tends to stay around the same amount, but that's kind of the structure to which I pay myself. Yeah. And you would need to... I'm glad you mentioned the CFO and the CPA because you would need to be very proactive in your financial goals to know if you're in a savings or spendies. Yes. And I think that's really important to underscore that there's plenty of solopreneurs out there or therapists that are running clinics that have a few team members on them. And, you know, they might not know about those nuances. And so that's something to think about as you're going forward. And it's, again, another, you know, we're 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 talking, you know, as revolutionary as it is to think about how company culture has worth to your company, it's also really about core values, which is basic Betty stuff. And it's the stuff that does create eye rolls when I say to people, you know, I see you don't have a mission statement or a value statement. And they're like, snore. (laughs) And so, you know, it comes back to those basics. And so does a strategic plan. Again, like Snoresville. And as you know, a lot of people know, I built like a CEO payday around it because I believe in it so much. And I believe that it really does allow you to make decisions from a place of knowledge that you wouldn't otherwise have. So I'm glad that you kind of reflected on that because that's aspirational for a lot of people and OT business owners out there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk a bit about these meetings. Like I'm so curious. I want to dive into this. I know that you have team meetings. I want to talk about the team meetings before like the supervision or pardon me, before the, um, what did you call them again? The Q1 meetings, what were those called? Uh, we did performance reviews. And performance then, reviews, yeah. yeah. That's the word I forgot, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. So tell me about like your team meetings. Because you have like really interesting language around it. You have really novel concepts around that. Talk to us, talk to me about that. So the team meetings in terms of, so I'll give you their meeting structure. Yes, please. Um, so the overview is that I think the meetings, first and foremost, yes, they're expensive. We talk about money here on this podcast Mm -hmm. and (laughs) they're expensive. They're Mm -hmm. not cheap, especially with 30 people sitting in on them. But I'm going to say this is that it is for me, one of the best things that we've ever done because it creates a consistent drumbeat, a consistent routine around togetherness, around seeing each other's faces, especially with COVID, it was everything to me to see people's faces. And we used to do them in person in real life and sit in a circle on the gym floor. And it was like Mm -hmm. the best. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so we do a team meeting with everybody once a week for 30 minutes. We do department meetings. So the OT team meets separately. The speech team meets separately. The PT team meets separately for 30 to 45 minutes every week. And then the leadership team, there is one, by the time this airs, there will be two speech leads. There is one 
speech therapy lead, one PT lead, and two OT leads, and then two administrative leads. We meet every other week as a full team. And then on the off weeks, just the two OT leads, PT lead, and speech lead lead, meet together. So that's that's our meeting structure. And I feel like I'm the meeting queen, you know, like sometimes yeah. I feel like, and that's a good thing. And sometimes I feel like that's like death by meetings. Yeah. That so was my next the, question. It's like, mm-hmm. depending on the week, I'm like, Oh my gosh, so much, but it, it really has helped to create a routine for communication and to really be able to, what I think is the, been the most helpful thing is to give a platform for feedback, feedback. Well, one of our core values is feedback is our jam and it's given us an actual platform to say, like, what are you thinking? What, what is hard? What feels like you want, you know, isn't sustainable anymore. So that's our general meeting structure. What do you call those meetings? I call them a team meeting, department meeting, and then a leadership meeting. There's something that you said on the Stacking Your Teams podcast. Okay, here, full transparency. You want to know how, like, we fail forward. And, you know, what did you call it? Failure by what? Like death by a thousand paper cuts? Yeah, but it was, you had another (laughs) term for failure. And, you know, so I listened to your podcast, both of the, well, I listened to the Stacking Your Teams, the first one a while back. And I listened to the second one on purpose in prep for this interview. And I took notes on my phone and in prep for this interview, like this was probably two weeks ago. And then when I went last night to like really build it out, because I had notes and I was synthesizing, I couldn't find it. (laughs) I couldn't find the document. (laughs) So I was like, oh, nuts. So please, like if... If Corey and I sound smooth, we are smooth in some areas and smooth <laughs> some and not in others. So I have a document out there that has really great notes about the Stacking Your Teams podcast that I lost. And I know that there was, a like, you, language is so important to you. I know yes, that yes. there was something that you were calling the meetings. Or weren't you calling them, like... Oh, oh, okay, okay, yes. So we have had, in 2020, we did leadership summits. Yes, that's the word. Yes, okay. That's what I was looking for. So we did two leadership summits to help with the feedback loops about getting people back on salary. What would the productivity boundary be? Who would have access to it? What would the flexibility be around scheduling? Could you end early a day? Got it. All those questions, really restructuring and resetting and kind of throwing all of the past out and saying, now we're, we have blank slate to the future. Those meetings were four hours and we did, we've done them twice with the clinical or with the leadership team. And then I had an admin, we have six admin uh, professionals on the team. And I did, or at the time we did, and we did a four hour meeting in in March. We hadn't done that when the Stacking Your Team podcast was recorded, but that was awesome too, because they were like, they gave us such a unique perspective. And so then actually we are having a, our third leadership summit in June. That's great. June. So you said you were like the queen of meetings and you feel sometimes (laughs) enthusiastic and sometimes burned out by them or threatened to be burned out by them. How do you keep the team from not feeling potentially burned out by meetings? Oh, man, that's a good question. (laughs) They would have a better answer for that. However, (laughs) So you haven't heard a lot of flack on it. Well, so here's what just recently happened and I'll give you some insight. I actually got to a point where I was like needing a break from the meetings. And so I emailed them and I said, Hey, like I am sensing a lot of stress. I'm also feeling like I can't be my best self. I'm going to step away from the meetings for a month. 
and feel free to use the time as you wish. Mm-hmm. And so they actually ended up meeting still mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, they were like, we are, they, in so many words, they were stressed and they decided to meet to come up with solutions. And so mm-hmm. I think I modeled it for them and mm-hmm. said, Hey, it's safe to feel this way. It's safe to be burnt out. This is a lot. We're going through a massive transition in exactly this topic, how people get paid. It's Mm -hmm. a huge transition and it's the boundaries, the manifesto, all of this, the performance reviews, compensation reviews, so new. And we did it all in like four months. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was so, I needed a break really bad. And so I think hopefully they feel safe to say if it's too much, they also are able to like flex every other week if they needed to, so that every other week leadership team option is flexible for them. I think the rest of the team though, like they want to lean into meetings more. So the leadership team probably more burnt out of them at times based on how busy we are, but which is rightfully so because we, we, they have a lot of responsibility. And then I think there's a half of the, the other part, like the team at large would want more meetings, longer ones. Yeah. I'm speaking for them, so I want to make sure that... Yeah, yeah, no, and I appreciate you being so clear on that. I think, you know, so the little knowledge that I have, because I have to say this was not a strength of mine when I had my bricks and mortar at all, and if I was going to redo it, I'd do things very differently from managing a team perspective. And, you know, so when I was dabbling in this, that drumbeat, I can't remember where I've heard that before, but that was something that I read somewhere as well. When you mentioned that drumbeat and that routine and that consistency, that's just like, you know, attachment 101. Mm. That's what we, yeah. how we want to show up to our kids every day. That's why there's benefit in the family dinners. That's why there's benefits to yeah. routine. That's why even though I have one away teen and one home teen, I still put what we're making for dinner every single night on the fridge. Because I think that creates a safety and a security, even though I don't even know if she reads the fridge. (laughs) (laughs) But I do it maybe for myself, right? Or like her phone has to be in my room a certain time every night. Like there's just these drumbeats that create safety for family and for teams as well. And yet it's such an interesting premise then how not to burn people out. So, you know... If people are interested diving into this topic in more depth, again, I strongly suggest the Stacking Your Teams podcast. Can you suggest another resource that people might dive into that you found helpful on how to structure team meetings, how to document team meetings, how to, you know, have the best come out of meetings? So my my main source for all things teams is Shelly Warren at Stacking yeah. at BizChicks. Yeah, I knew she that. She actually, yeah. yeah, so the other resource that I would say is super helpful and is more recent is Brene Brown's Dare to Lead podcast. Oh, that's right. You do talk talk, about that. Yep. Yeah. They talk a lot about culture recently, a lot about like making the most of the time that you have face-to-face with people because Mm -hmm. it's so scarce right now because of COVID and people are all on Zoom. So those were the the Stacking Your Team podcast. Absolutely. And then Shelly's programs are great too. But then that Dare to Lead podcast is is so helpful for, for like what to prioritize. You know, they, they talk a lot about like the human, like making work human. And so sometimes like the meeting focus doesn't have to be on like housekeeping. And, you know, I was out a couple of weeks ago and they did this 
during the team meeting. It's only 30 minutes. Um, and we did this program called glimpse, which is basically like three minutes speed dating <laughs> with each other. And so Great. they got matched with someone on the team it was totally random for three minutes. And then it switches you to somebody else. And so, you know, sometimes the meetings will like, oh my gosh, the cadence and the drum beats are, they changed my whole outlook on meetings, mm-hmm. that sort of human element. Like I'm going to look at your faces and see how, mm-hmm. how you're doing. And we've only done that at a team meeting one time with the, the glimpse thing, but just more for me, I want to see that they're doing okay mm-hmm. and, and make sure that they have a space to have feedback. Cause if feedback is our jam, but we're providing no platform for that, mm-hmm. then is it really our jam? Exactly. Half jam if you're not full jamming. <laughs> Half jam. <laughs> Let's dive into kind of the last chunk of things I wanted to talk about before we get to the rapid fire questions of how we drum beat, how we end every podcast. See, there's structures to podcasting yes, exactly. so people know what to expect because of attachment and safety, people. So, you know, again, because you focused on delivering a top, top quality product, if we're going to take the Tony Shea, you know, there's three and we're only talking about the top two right now. And I should know the third and I can't remember right now. You know, delivering a top, top quality product, that's your first priority as a CEO. And the second is putting your time and money into core values equaling work culture. You also then were able, you know, not just solve the problem of unhappy staff, staff that felt like they were underpaid, that they didn't have anything to aspire to. They felt they were just being dragged down by productivity rates. You also have been able to then expand. And you said you were a visionary. So Mm -hmm. there's, you know, your zone of genius plus the things that you put into structure have allowed you to really develop some new programs. And I really want you to talk about those now. Yeah. Part of my, we can do this differently theme that has been with me for a while is (laughs) that I want work to look differently at a brick and mortar clinic at anywhere patient care typically in the therapy industry is back to back. And so I want another way to generate revenue to share revenue. And part of that was figuring out how to get something more online to leverage our skills in a different way. So one of the first ones that we added aquatic therapy. So that was cool. That was like a still one-on-one, but it was at a different location. It added a different element, novelty, learning opportunity. And then the two ones that are not in person, they're um, they're in the development phase, invisibility, gaining visibility. And so one of them is called Eat, Play, Empower. And I am working with a OT named Brienne, and she and I are developing a systems-based approach to feeding therapy. So the goal is to be able to take that into more online, where it's pretty much only offered online, virtual, that it's a you know, 10 to 12 week program and giving parents opportunities to learn differently, but really making the feeding therapy experience for them more succinct. And also transitioning with, I think with COVID, we learned to put a lot more on, you know, in a good way, on the parents to be the main teachers. Mm-hmm. And so kind of taking what we learned during COVID and making it more accessible online. And then the other one, the last one is a mentoring 
program for new grad occupational therapists or like if you're in your first year transitioning from that student to clinician. And it's called Milestone University. And I'm super excited about that because I'm using my leadership experience. I'm leveraging that to help with the mentoring part of Milestone University. Our hope with that one is to either do like group brainstorming, group masterminds, or one-on-one mentoring, and then also to offer digital products with that. And I have two OTs that I'm working with, uh, Jasmine and Tori, and they are like, they're full speed ahead and really enjoying the opportunity to work differently. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole goal is like, we have all these amazing skills. And yes, we want to stay relevant and stay with clients and work with them. And we also want more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we also want other opportunities. And so it's been really a mindset shift for me to say like, yes, we are good at this and we are going to try to innovate into mm-hmm. other areas. And a, and a core value of myself is innovation and thinking differently. I do think that these will slowly over time become a normal way that therapists work yeah. in the online space and in mentoring and leveraging their skills differently. Yeah. I was actually so in love with the idea of that balance between being the CEO, which we all try to figure out how to be a CEO. I remember one client I coached a while back when we were talking about delegation and automation, and she said, but then what am I supposed to do every day? Like, we're all still learning how to be a CEO and what it actually means to be a CEO. And with that coupled, that title coupled with where you are in the org chart, coupled with your visionary skills and your innovation skills. It's so healthy to know that you're also turning inward, Mm. right? And bringing new ideas and also listening to your therapist to what their ideas would be and then allowing them to tap into their innovation skill and their other skill sets that they want to grow into. And I think that as we are feel like these solo CEOs kind of you know, admittedly not always knowing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. It can feel lonely and it can feel like I don't know where to take the next step and I don't know what to do. And it's a reminder and you, you know, walk this walk so beautifully to simply turn around (laughs) and look at who's around you, right? And look at your team and find out, you know, what they want to participate in and where they think the company should go as well. Oh my gosh. I mean, you said that beautifully. Like it is like, I work with them. I identify with leader. I do not identify with boss and turning really to my left and to my right and saying like, come on, let's do this together. All of our brains and passion together is going to make so much more of a difference. Yeah, it's true. It's, it feels modern to me. And maybe that's because I haven't been, you know, studying business as a passion project or a work project for long enough, but it feels like a modern way to lead. And it also feels like it's the way it should always have been. Yes. I I can't agree more. And that's why I think OTs and women in particular are the best prepped and the best skilled to be incredible entrepreneurs because we are supposed to be solutions-based. We are supposed to be client-based. We are supposed to be able to pick from various frameworks and models. That's what we're used to and we're taught in school. And applying that to business is not only common sense, but it's also evidenced 
in the research. So you don't need to go. I actually read something as a tiny aside, and I thought this was really, I don't know why this stuck with me. Bear with me for a second. So, you know, as you learn, this is around the topic of marketing. As you learn more about marketing, you talk, you hear about marketing campaigns and you hear, you know, about marketing drives and all of these words around marketing and advertising. And it's because that profession really started to take hold and thrive after World War II. And these were men who had gone and, you know, had family members or participated in World War II, and they came back and began to use World War II terminology to discuss marketing. Oh, wow. And I think it's really interesting that just how much of like a male-dominated, linear, you know, culture influences the modern-day workplace. Yeah. Even now. And so I appreciate, so, you know, I appreciate that there's tons of literature out there that I am not even aware of that is bringing, you know, things into more modern day. But I want to, I, I quote that because I want the OTs that are listening to this, the majority of which are women, to feel empowered to trust their intuition, yeah. trust what other, you know, OT business owners are doing, and trust that if you feel right about it, there's probably going to be research out there that backs you up and to go for it. Yeah, I totally resonate with that. You know, the male-dominated professionalism and leadership styles is not my style and it's not for everyone. And it's also, we get to lead in our own way. And yeah, I think that that's a beautiful way of saying it. I like that you brought that up. Thanks. You know, I never, ever, ever want this to become like an anti-male platform. And yet, if you really are looking at who the OTs are, the majority of which are women, and some of the issues around getting paid, they really are because of women's issues. And I'm going to be doing a podcast on that later. That's not for today. So that's why it's important to keep pointing out things that were, you know, done by men when they were in leadership positions many years ago. And that doesn't necessarily mean that's the way to do it. So I'm, you know, putting a little asterisk there because I too, you know, OTs get paid too is a very inclusive, safe place. And yet we we can't avoid, we've got to study history to know what we need to change now. So that's why I bring it up. Yeah, totally. And then in mine, that goes back to the core value of innovation. I, mm-hmm. Regardless of who set the standards, yeah, I want, exactly. to, I want to challenge it and and see if we can do it better. Yeah. And I think OTs are so uniquely poised to do that. Okay. So we are coming to the end of the podcast. And these are rapid fire questions that I ask everybody. I didn't send Ready. them to you in advance. So I'm excited to hear your answers. Okay. What is your biggest personal money splurge? Ooh, Lululemon. <laughs> My daughter just this morning, because I'm asking her to return some things and p- post some things today, and one of them is Lululemon. That is so funny. She gave uh, me grief about how much Lululemon I have. And I said to her, you have no idea. I'm on, okay, I'm on a Reddit channel about Lululemon, and people have entire closets dedicated to Lululemon. Yeah. And I said to her, obviously, I'm hanging in the wrong set if I'm hanging on Reddit with a bunch of Lululemon addicts. I probably have five pairs of Lululemon pants by that 
that by no means defines me as a Lululemon addict, but it's so relevant because we were just talking about that this morning. And I'm returning a pair of pants and she keeps saying to me, mom, those pants look great on you. You should keep them. And I said, for $130 pants, I got to love these ones. (laughs) Absolutely. Don't love them. Okay, so why do you splurge on Lululemon? What is it? We're going to have to ask Lululemon for a sponsorship here in a minute, but what is it about? Why do you you spend coin on Lulu? Okay, so it's uh, something that I coined as casual professional. It's not out in the trends right now yet. I mean, hopefully. But I can wear it as a CEO. I can wear it as a mom. I can wear it as an OT. And not a lot of clothes pass that test. It's true. It's very true. Well, we are happy to know that, you know, we support Canadian in the OTs Get Paid podcast and it is a Canadian company. It is. So yeah, I'm like, I'm totally behind that. I agree. Actually, you know what? I should take a picture and put it on IG when this podcast goes out because I'm wearing currently a Lululemon. It's not a cardigan and it's not a blazer. It's a blardigan. <laughs> <laughs> and I was chilly. But I put it on and I was like, you know, I'm kind of like feeling my bad self as I'm not in like a schluppy cardigan. I'm wearing a blardigan. <laughs> Everything <laughs> I'm so. wearing today is Lulu right now. <laughs> okay. By the way, Lulu, you owe us some coin right now. Okay. What is your biggest money splurge business-wise, business-related? Recurring Amazon.com business account toys. <laughs> toys, yeah. eh? Well, it's a personal passion of mine. It's like the Amazon account. It's the first thing the CFO was like, okay, what can we do about this Amazon account? Interesting. And it's mostly toys. Um, I actually, weirdly though, for my like splurge splurges, I like to buy nice furniture. Like I bought a conference table. Nice. I put in a wraparound desk recently. Like for some reason, I think it's like desks and chairs I really like. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Again, you're creating an environment that people want to come to, right? Yeah. Perfect. So tell me about the paid and unpaid help you have in your life that helps you manage all you have. Because you know what? We haven't even touched and maybe we're going to have to make a part two or maybe we're going to have to get you on Facebook because I know a question everybody's asking right now and we haven't touched on it yet. Do you know the question that's going to come up at the end of this? How do you do it all? Yeah, exactly. Like, can I see her calendar? How does she manage her time? Like, that's 100% the question that everybody's asking and kind of yelling at their, you know, Apple podcast thing or their Spotify <laughs> account. Like, tell us now. So we're not going to dive into that just yet because, you know, maybe that'll be a part two where we'll get you on in a Facebook Live in the group. So tell me about that paid and unpaid help that you have in your life. Okay. In my personal life, and I love talking about this topic because... The answer to how I do it all is that I don't do it all by myself at all. Mm. I co-parent. So I have my kids 50% of the time. Obviously you're always a mom, but that is a time where I get to lean into work and CEO a little bit more. I have unpaid help is my dad and my (laughs) sister-in-law. She's obviously not officially my sister-in-law, but she's my sister and they help me a ton. Even with just taking the kids to school, I can rely on them. They're both local paid help. I have a personal assistant that works just for me personally, six to eight hours a week. And she does help me with laundry, grocery shopping, meal prep, errands. I am so passionate about it, getting as much help as you can afford because I have to like scale back on some things to be able to have this kind of help. And 
it has been like the best thing because, and when I hired her, I said, this is for me to be able to be with my kids when I'm with my kids, instead of being CEO and being at work for a long time and then coming home and having to feel like I have to like do all the prep and do Mm -hmm. all the laundry and run errands and take things back to the store and go to Costco. When I'm with my kids, I want to be with my kids. And that was the vision and the goal. And it is an amazing help. Guess what I just did this week. What? I hired a personal assistant. Yeah. I haven't told anybody yet. (laughs) I'm clapping for you. I, I, I uh, I can't say enough about how much weight it has taken off my shoulders to know that I get to have intentional time with my kids and I'm not running errands. And I know, I know, I know that, that everybody cannot afford that. And you know what? Here's what, here, oh my gosh, like I haven't even told my best friend. I texted my sister a couple of nights ago because she's like one of my safest people in the world. I haven't even, no, 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 I did tell my partner. And, you know, my partner is my person, but we don't yeah. live together. He, so it's like, I'm, and I'm full-time single mom. Like my kids don't go nowhere. So I actually yeah. was reading a book, Rachel Rogers. Mm-hmm. She just put it out there. It's called Why We Should All Be Millionaires. And she really talks to the like, disenfranchised like the black woman she's a black american woman and you know the queer people and you know women in general is her main audience especially those who feel even more marginalized than say like a white woman in north america right and she really talks about it came down to math for me actually because that's when the mind shift set happened for me i'm fortunate like my kids are not four right my kids are right. 17 and 20 next week and one of them doesn't even live here full time. So, you know, there's COVID and my home team requires still a ton of my time. And that's just her love language. Like quality time is her love language. So, but, you know, it came down to math and it's kind of chicken and egg for me. Like I felt like, and this was a Rachel Rogers thought on it. And it felt like, you know, wealthy people get personal assistance. And her point of view was, you know, you need a personal assistant in order to get to wealthy. Mm, Yeah. And I don't say wealth, I don't use that term lightly. I do mean wealth because wealth, you know, creates legacy and freedom really for everybody. And I don't know what that number will be for me one day, but it's certainly an aspiration for me and my family. And it made sense mathematically. Like if I'm charging way more, especially, you know, with one of the products I have right now, the CEO payday, it's a high priced offer and people pay it. And like, if I suss it out to what it is per hour, it is way more than a personal assistant. Yeah. And so to your point, like yesterday, my daughter was having a really rough day. You know, this COVID thing, we all get into more funks, I think, than normal. Plus she's 17. So she just could not get her act together. And at the end of the day, I looked at her and we turned on our happy movie which is hairspray. We love us some hairspray. (laughs) And, you know, I, again, that is quality time. So I can either save 20, 30 hours a month and make more money and put into place even things that are not direct ROI yet. It's not a direct return on investment, but it's, you know, building another program like you're doing, et cetera, that will scale in a different way right? And bring in more income and not or, and I can also watch Hairspray with my kid instead of, you know, returning Lululemon stuff, (laughs) for example. 
what I'm trying to do here is like take away that kind of privileged feeling. And it really took like a black woman in her her manifesto book, yeah. right? <laughs> to say, this is not like privilege. This is smart math. It's such wisdom. I mean, that mm-hmm. is such good wisdom because I, I see it that way. And, but you know, you got to get through the stigma of it. Like I get the eye rolls from my family. Like, oh my gosh. Okay. I'm you so don't... excited. You said it. As soon as you said that, I was like, ah, no. they're like, here's got please do. Yep. Yeah. Like, do you do your own laundry? It's like, okay, look, I can. Okay. I can. And I'm choosing right now to lean into other areas. Mm-hmm. And I, oh man, it's, I can't even tell you the ROI that I feel from it, That's much it. less that I get. That's it. Well, and you know, I'll take it one step further and then we'll ask our last question because I really thank you for using the word stigma. It's actually what I was dancing around and I couldn't get my brain around. And also like there's a whole other thing that's happened since I've become more successful in my own terms in terms of like, you know, feeling like the things I create are have value and then getting paid for those things that I love to do that was is happening way more now than it was even as a clinic owner or a clinician. And that is like, I am leaning into my zone of genius and not apologizing for it as much outside of work. I'm showing up and I'm saying this because I want people to even just think about what Corey and I are saying in that, you know, you can show up in your life differently. Mm -hmm. And those lessons that we learn as CEOs do translate to real life in, in unexpected ways. Absolutely. Okay, so the last question is, Corey, if I could wave my magic money wand and put another seven figures into your business right now, what would you spend it on? First thing I would do would be profit sharing. I firmly believe that when wealth is placed in the hands of women, it's shared amongst everyone. And I want to be that. I want to share opportunities. I want profit sharing would be the first thing I would do. I would put a significant amount of that in savings because as I've learned having core capital after you get out of debt, you have to have this core capital, which is three months of expenses, three to four that are there for when things happen that are outside of your control. My goal is to get to core capital by June or July of 2023. So it's big audacious. It is a big audacious goal. goal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I don't know that we'll get there, but I'm going to, I have it on my calendar. I see it every time I transfer money into savings. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. So I put that away. And then what I would love to do is buy a place mm-hmm. for the company to grow into and flourish. And there is a, a goal of buying a place that eventually would turn into part of it into a nonprofit. I'm actually in the process of starting a nonprofit I'm only at the paperwork stage right now. Of course you are. (laughs) (laughs) Naturally. (laughs) Uh, You can do a lot with seven figures with a nonprofit. Yep, you sure can. (laughs) And And what would the nonprofit, and what's the the genesis behind the nonprofit, Corey? I cut you off with my laughing and sarcasm. Sorry. That's okay. So the nonprofit would be to provide therapy for kids who do not have insurance and Mm -hmm. or have a plan that doesn't really support the therapy needs. And obviously to do that, it would have to be like grant funded in some capacity. My biggest vision is that everyone brings their favorite specialty and has a place for it there. 
and we do it differently. We do intensive programs for families for 12 weeks and we do a lot of parent training and then they graduate. And so that is what I would do. I think profit sharing, saving, buying a place and a nonprofit. Amazing. And you know what? It's a great way to end the interview because I have no doubt that you will achieve those goals. You think big. I like to think I think big, but it pales in comparison to you. And I am beyond thrilled that we've talked about really, you know, hard stuff, like ways that people can move the needle on growing their business. But I'm even more excited that there's going to be a whole set of OT entrepreneurs out there that now know about you, that can follow you, and that can watch you because you're like such a massive leader in our profession. And we're really lucky to have you. Thank you. Well, thank you. I also think you are just wonderful <laughs> and a genius. And this has been the most wonderful podcasting experience ever. <laughs> Yay. Yay, podcasting. You got, a, you got a skill, girl. Oh, thank you. So, you know, leave us with how people can find you because like I always say this, but like run, don't walk to follow like Corey's IGs because, you know, they'll blow you away. So tell the people, tell the people where they can find you, Corey. Okay. So my personal Instagram that I talk about motherhood, leadership, and doing both is Corey Roan, C-O-R-E-Y-R-O-A-N. And then we have Milestone Clinic Instagram. And their two programs also have their own Instagram, Milestone University and Eat, Play, Empower. That's great. Thank you so much for everything, Corey. I know that we'll be getting a ton of questions. We'll figure out what next steps are, maybe having you back and talking about your schedule, getting you into the OTs Get Paid Facebook group for sure. Uh, yes. I don't. This is not the, the last time OTs Get Paid has uh, is talking to you. So thanks for everything. Thank you so much. Appreciate okay. it. This has been OTs Get Paid, recorded live in Studio C. That's Studio Closet. I'm Trish Williams. If you had feedback on today's episode, send us a DM on IG at OTs Get Paid or join our Facebook group at OTs Get Paid. We would really love to hear from you. We'd also love it if you could subscribe and write a review for the podcast. Each month, I'll pick a random review for a shout out to get your name and business on the air. Until next time. Hey.